Praise God. Father God, we thank you. Wonderful time of worship. Your presence made known to us as your children. We thank you. And we pray, God, this morning that we would just lift up your holy name, even as we speak your word that you've given us for the church. And we thank you for that anointing. We thank you for the word that would break every yoke of bondage. Help us to receive that word, O oh God, from you. It's your word in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most important sermons I think I will preach to you this morning, when old fears return. We've been teaching about fear for the last month, how to fight fear, <clears throat> how to identify our fears, and what to do with them. But as you know, fears return. Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible said that the enemy left him for a season. That means that he does come back. So I want to talk to you this morning about some sensitive subjects, some sensitive concepts. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart, I believe that you'll learn some great things this morning about relationships, about marriage, about what makes men and women tick, if I could use that expression. It's deep. It really is deep. I want to talk to you about Abraham and Sarah. But before they were Abraham and Sarah, they were Abram and Sarai. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible said there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Anytime you go back to Egypt, you are on the wrong course. Let me say that again. Anytime you return to Egypt, you are on the wrong road. Praise God. We go back to Egypt because that's where we identify our security. And when we think we have things under control... We say, hey, I'm okay, but we're not okay. It's there, out there, when we go back to, Eden, to Egypt, it's the old fruits, it's the old habits, it's the onions, it's the, lug, the leeks and the, the garlic, and it's there to pick from the garden of the world. And do they soothe? Yes, for a season. Yes, do the elements of the world Soothe and make us feel in control and secure? Yes, for a season. But I want to remind you that old habits are contagious. As one old habit will lead to another. For example, in Proverbs 23, 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Listen, I remember the days of drinking and drinking wine and taking the wine glass and going like that and looking into it like it was something magical and mystical. But you know, 
When you return to the bars or the nightclubs, when you return to the elements, other things take place as consequences of that going back into Egypt and backsliding. You can't get away from the consequences. Because one thing leads to the other. When you start to drink again, or do, you'll get into a spat. You'll get into a fight. You'll get into a car wreck. Things will happen. And we think we're in control, but we're not in control. But that's just one example. But I want to talk to you this morning about disowning marriage. See, in the world we live in today, marriage seems to become an evil entity, an evil relationship. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 11, And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, Sarai was a half-sister of Abram. They had the same father, but they had different mothers. So it was partially true that Sarai was his sister. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment. Abram was the head of his flock, and Sarai was the first lady, his wife. Abram wanted her to lie that she was his sister. Abram was playing a deadly game of deception. This was not the truth. Because when you hold back some facts that has damaging effects, especially in marriage, some people can't handle honesty and truth. So we hold back some facts. Abram believed Sarah lying for him would keep him safe. Misnomer. Misconception. Lie for me is never the answer in a mature relationship between a man and a woman. Don't get quiet on me so quickly. Lying in this fashion was to deny the, their relationship as husband and wife. Lying is a cover-up. Lying is denying a problem exists. Lying is an excuse for inappropriate behavior. Sarai trusted Abram and he put her in danger. The focus was on himself, which was selfish on his part. Sarai wasn't feeling like she was number one. She wasn't feeling like she was the first lady. Disowning marriage like Abram did there caused Sarai to come to a place of betrayal. You know, I know sometimes that we look at the patriarchs in the Bible and we deify them. They were just like you and I. They were sinful men and women just like you and I. They needed a savior like you and I. But we have a tendency to deify them. And yes, was Abraham a great man and a prophet of God? Absolutely. But he had defects. He had some weaknesses. He had some shortcomings. And in Genesis 12, 14, it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld that the woman Sarai was very fair, very beautiful. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Hey, look at this woman. She's beautiful, Pharaoh. She's for you. And he entreated Abram. Listen to what Pharaoh did. He entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep 
and oxen and asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. What was happening here? The Bible indicates that Sarai was very beautiful and she was taken into Pharaoh's house. This is a place of betrayal. When this occurred, Abram subjected his wife to a place of no protection and no safety. For a woman, an insecure environment or an insecure relationship where trust is even slightly questioned is one of the worst situations you could put a woman in. Can you say amen, ladies? It's a place of mistrust. It's a place of insecurity. Look in verse number 16. And he entreated Abram, who did? Pharaoh. Well, for her sake, and he had sheep, oxen, asses, men servants, maid servants, she asses, and camels. What was happening here? I want to tell you what was happening here. Because Pharaoh thought that Sarai was Abram's sister, not only did Abram jeopardize Sarai before Pharaoh and his people, as indicated in Genesis 12 17, and the Lord played. Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai's Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why did you not tell me that she was thy wife? Why sayest thou she's my sister? So I might have taken her to, to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. Get out of here. She's not my woman. What are you trying to get me to do? Commit adultery? The Bible says, And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Let me tell you what happened here, my friend. When we disown marriage, and we don't take leadership as men, here's what happened. Abraham relinquished his husband's duties by becoming a passive man. Abraham relinquished his leadership responsibilities. Abram did not take of care of his garden, which was the same thing that happened to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Abram prospered by a lie. Do you realize that Abram became rich because Pharaoh thought that Sarai was Abram's sister? And look what he gave to uh, uh, Abram in verse 16. He gave him the world. He prospered by a lie. You don't prosper in God's kingdom by a lie. When you lie, there will be a consequence. Abraham weakened himself as a man, and as a result, Abram became a passive man. That's hard to believe, because we have a tendency to deify Abram, or Abraham as he became. So what happened here? Sarai was placed in fear, in a fearful environment with Pharaoh, in a fearful situation, and in a fearful circumstance, Sarai would become bitter and angry as a woman. Sarai was now going to reap the consequences of the fruit of her fear. What are you talking about, Pastor? Sarai was saying to herself, how can I trust this guy? He's put me in a place of mistrust, insecurity, and fear. So Sarai, being a grown woman, said to herself, i got to get in control here because he's not doing the job. I have to get in control. And to be in control means to hide, to dominate, to manage, to direct, to limit, 
to check, to curb, to suppress, to restrain, to discipline. You don't know what you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. Let me do it. Let me be in control. To be in charge of, to have power over, to have a hold over, to hold sway over, to contain, to limit, and to monitor. This is exactly what's going on in American homes today. Angry women, fierce women, and passive men. This is what's happening. And people don't want to hear the truth. Men are the head of the home. And you don't know, you know, I don't preach men as dictators. I don't preach that. I preach men and women crossing the same bridge of humility. Because in marriage, if a man looks at his wife better than he, and if the wife looks at the man better than her, you have a bridge of humility, and then God is in charge. I said God is in charge. We're getting ourselves all messed up and more divorces in the Christian home than in the secular world. There's something wrong and I want to tell you what's wrong. We're not preaching the word of God from God's pulpit anymore because we're afraid we're going to hurt someone's feelings. You know what? I'm not in this for votes. I'm not in this for some kind of position. I'm in this to please my God and to do what God says for me to do behind the sacred desk up to you to accept it and it's up to you to act on the word of God because Abram weakened himself as a man Sarai had to now think that things were now in her hands don't we see that in marriages today this is exactly what happened when Sarai convinced Abram to go into her maid this was Sarah's attempt at becoming the head of the home Abram relinquished his leadership and his integrity and sure he said yes go into my maid of course I'm going to go into a concubine he's a man and you're giving your husband permission to have a sexual relationship with a servant that you received 11 years prior you see women in general would feel the need to control any time a man relinquishes his leadership position. So what happened? Sarah wanted a baby. The baby didn't come yet. And so she came up with this carnal plan of being in control. And she said to Abram, go into the concubine, Hagar. And in Genesis 16 and 1, now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abraham's, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. What happened here? Abram's not in control. He's not the man. He's relinquished that position. He listened to and heeded to what Sarai said to him, going to the maid. This was her plan. This was not God's plan. This was her plan and her way of saying and declaring, I am in charge of this house. Step aside. Step aside here. The issue of control was addressed by God to Adam and Eve after Adam failed in his responsibilities as a man and husband in the Garden of Eden. You remember that story. 
God created Adam outside the garden. He placed Adam inside the garden to manage the garden. And that meant to tell Eve what each of their responsibilities was as husband and wife. Adam relinquished his leadership position by allowing the serpent to speak to Eve. Where was he? What was he doing? Was he out golfing? I have no idea. But that serpent was able to seduce Eve and deceive her. Adam weakened himself. And as a result, in Genesis 3.16, God said this as part of the curse. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Do you know, a lot of people have no idea what that verse means. When God pronounced that curse upon Eve, when he said thy desire shall be to thy husband, when you look it up in the Hebrew, it means you will try to control your husband. You will try to tell him what to do, how to do it, and when to do it, Eve. And this was the basis of the curse that's come upon men, and I'll talk about that in a few moments in the sermon. So look at the consequences here. Sarai could no longer trust Abram at this point because he threw her under the bus to Pharaoh. <laughs> She's not my wife. He became rich as a result of it. And then Pharaoh found out because God spoke to him and caused plague and said, hey, get out of here. You don't belong here. <laughs> you know, when you're in the wrong bed, you should get out of there. I said, when you're in the wrong house, you should get out of there. Come on now, my friends. Help me to preach here this morning. If this isn't the word of God, we can all go home. Praise the Lord. But this is the word of God. If you find me in error, let me know. But this is the word of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What happened in Genesis 16 and 4? Look at the consequence of Sarai's control over Abram. Listen, there will always be a consequence. When a woman tries to take control over a man, and when that man has relinquished his leadership and his responsibilities, this is going to happen in a marriage. And it's going to cause the disintegration of a home. Hey, listen, you can still be married and be enduring friends. Come on, my friend. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God did not call us to have a marriage of enduring friendship. He called us to a marriage of love and romance. He called us a, a marriage together as two souls knit together. That's what marriage is about. So look, look what happened. He went into Hagar in Genesis 16.4. She conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, despised her in her eyes. Now, wait a minute, Sarah. You're, you're the one that sent your husband into her. So now what's your issue? It gets worse. And in verse 5, and Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. Oh, now you're blaming Abram for something you were in control of and you told him to go into Hagar and now you want to blame him because he had a sexual relationship with his concubine. What's wrong with you, Sarah? Aren't you in control now? Now you despise that woman. Now you hate that woman. And eventually you'll end up abusing that woman. What happened here? This, the, the, what, what, what's going on here right now is this. It's the issue of control. And you see this. Hey, listen, people have written books about this. Fierce, fierce women and passive men. And this is a plague. This is a plague 
in the Christian home and in the Christian family. Men are retreating. Women are getting angry. And there's a disintegration of marriage. And as a result, there's so much divorce in the Christian home more than in the secular world. And who becomes the victims? It's the children. We don't care about them. We don't care about them. We just care about our own self-pleasures and wanting to be in control, whether we're men or women. Here's what happened. In verse 5, he, she said to Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maiden to thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So here's what's going on. She wants Abram to deal with this woman now. Get her out of here. I don't want her around. You're the one in, that invited Abram to her bed. And now she's become part of your marriage. You see, you got to look at the consequences of the situation. Hagar became pregnant. Sarah despised her. Sarah blames Abram just like in the Garden of Eden. It's this woman you gave me. It's the serpent that did this. The devil made me do it. And we use these lame excuses before God and we think God's a fool. We think God doesn't know the truth. God knows all truth. And she says, my wrong be upon thee, Abram, which means it's all your fault. <laughs> what did the guy do wrong here? Besides listening to his wife who was carnal at the moment and in control. Because as a result of his lack of leadership and responsibility, she could no longer trust him and put her in an insecure situation and in a place of fear. You see the domino effect when we don't do what we're supposed to do? When we don't do what we're supposed to do as men and women of God, this leads to disintegration in the home. And I want to tell you something. It filters down to the children, to the next generation. And that's why you see the rebellion that you're seeing now in the house of God and in our marriages as Christians. The word hardly, look what it says here. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, you know what that word hardly means? It means abusive in Hebrew. It means looking down upon Hagar now and browbeating her. The word hardly means to depress, to abase, to afflict, to hurt, to look down upon and browbeat. You see... Now it's one woman against another woman. Didn't, didn't the Bible say that in the last day that mother-in-law and daughter, daughter-in-law and mother, vice versa, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be, there's going to be conflict. And if you're not aware of that conflict, you're going to get bamboozled by the enemy and you're going to find yourself deceived thinking that that person is the enemy when we're supposed to love one another. Listen to what I'm saying. This is called honor. This is called honor. And it's not just honoring parents. It's honoring spouses. It's honoring loved ones. It's honoring children. It's honoring those that God has given to us as a gift. Hagar became part of the marriage. Hagar became the plan that backfired. And wouldn't you know today, we're still dealing with that plan in the Middle East. Because Ishmael was born to Hagar. Ishmael was born, a child born in the flesh, carnal, which resulted in anger and resentment, which followed in the marriage between Abram and Sarai. Abram and Sarai were leaders, but they were not very good role models. You know, we can play the game. We can come into the house of God and look like we got it all together. And we can look like we're leaders in the church and leaders in the house of God. 
But you know something? If we're living a lie, it's a lie. I said, if we're living a lie, it's a lie. And you know what? Those that are close to you will know if you're living a lie. And there will be consequences eventually down the road. Abram and Sarah, yes, were leaders, but they were very poor role models for marriage at that time. Sarah was not happy, but bitter. And she dealt severely and harshly with Hagar. And Hagar was abused so badly that she just ran away and fled from, uh, from Sarai. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And Hagar being brought from Egypt 11 years before. How bad was it for Hagar? The word fled in verse 6 that I just read to you, it means in Hebrew to bolt. It means to flee suddenly, to chase away, to drive away, to put to flight and to run away. This woman was afraid. She just did what her master told her to do. Sarai was her authority. Abram was her authority. She was a servant. And she just did what they said to do. But now she's being abused. And now she's running away. I don't have the time to explain what happened. If you know the word of God, she did flee. Mm -hmm. But God told her to go back to Sarai because Sarai was her authority. That's another problem that's happening in Christian marriages. People don't want to submit to the authority of God's word. I'm in control. I could do this. (laughs) No, you can't do anything that's outside this book. Because if you go outside this book and you think you're right and you're in control, you will suffer consequences, my friend, somewhere down the road. God is not a fool. He did not leave his last will and testament for us, for us to just shun and think that I'm on my own. Sarai thought she was on her own. Look at the mess that we're in today. Because she came up with a plan. Because Abram was not responsible as a leader. It goes both ways. The man and the woman were both at fault. In Genesis 17, 1 through 14, there was a great change. God appears to Abram. He became Abraham through covenant and through circumcision. In Genesis 17 and 15 through 19, Sarai became Sarah, which means a noble female, a lady, a princess, a queen. She shall be blessed. She was promised a son, not Ishmael, but the plan now goes through Sarai as she gave birth to Isaac. In Genesis 18, 1 through 15, Sarai means princess. The Lord has appeared. Sarai will have a son. Sarah laughed at God. She got away with it because God knew. Sarah, trust me. This time next year, when I come back, you will have a son. See, God doesn't lie, my friend. This book doesn't lie. And if we go on this book, we will not fail as men and women, as spouses, as friendships, as relationships. We will not fail if we go by this book. When we take justice in our own hands, when we decide to take control into our hands, and we decide this is the way it's going to be because I said it, then you've had the gospel, the fifth gospel, according to St. Evangelical. And I don't see that in the word of God. Preachers are afraid to preach the truth anymore. That's why the church is sleeping. It's a sleeping giant. And no one wants to wake it up. And it's sad. When you look at the Old Testament and the prophets that came. That woke up the kings. That woke up the leaders. That were slain. That were sawn asunder. That were killed as prophets of God. They were not afraid. Because they knew that God called them to that mission. Let me continue. In Genesis 12, Abram's 
threw Sarah under the bus. Now, you would think that this man would learn. Not when you go to Genesis chapter 20. Here's Abram journeying again. Journey from thence toward the south country and dwell between Kadesh and Shur and Sojourn and Gerar. And Abram said of Sarah, his wife, oh boy, she is my sister. <laughs> Wait a minute. Here we go. Didn't we do that in Genesis 12, Abram? You had this great experience with God. God changed your name. God told you to circumcise you and everybody else in your family, your servants, down to the last one. And now we're in Genesis 20. And Abram said to his wife, said of his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech, Abimelech king of Gerar, sent and took Sarai. <laughs> Listen, she was an older woman, but she was beautiful, according to the word of God. <laughs> but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art, a, thou art but a dead man. Hey, listen, no man wants to wake up in a dream and have God say, hey, you're a dead man. Whoa, wait a minute. I, I know this isn't the devil talking to me. This is God Almighty talking to me. He says, but you're a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Nobody wants to talk about adultery anymore in the house of God. No one wants to talk about that behind the pulpit anymore because that would shoot people out of the house of God. Don't preach on that preacher. No, let's just believe a lie. Let's cover it up. Let's put it under the rug. Let's play pretend and make believe. Hmm. Come on, my friends. Help me preach here. Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. Abimelech was saying, Lord, please, don't kill me. I did not go to bed with her. I did not have sex with her. You know that. Her blood is not on my hands. I'm clean. Abram journeyed south again. You see, when you, when you go far away from the promised land, when you leave your Jerusalem, when you leave your house of God, come on, my friend, help me preach here this morning. You're traveling toward Egypt, out of the promised land. Say, say you are my sister. Not again, Abraham. Old fears return now to Sarai. She can't trust this guy again. Are you kidding, Abram? You, you had this experience with God, the covenant, the circumcision, he changed your name to Abram, to Abraham. He changed my name. I'm supposed to be your princess. I'm supposed to be your queen. And you're throwing me under the bus again. Wow. Pretty revealing, isn't it? Yeah. Have you heard that before? Yes. Praise the Lord. God speaks to Abimelech in Genesis 20 and 6. God said to him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst thee this in the integrity of thy heart, for also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. God said, you know what, Abimelech, I had you covered. Thanks for being a man of integrity. 
Thanks for doing the right thing when no one's looking. Praise God. Now therefore, restore the man, his wife, for he's a prophet. Can you believe this? This is God. You see, that, that's, we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We, we don't see ourselves covered with the blood of Jesus. You see, that's why so many of us are just broken down. Because all we can think about is our past. And how bad we were. You see, my friend, Jesus sees the righteousness. Okay. God the Father sees the righteousness. He sees the blood. But so many Christians walk around in shame and guilt and condemnation. They're self-defeating. You don't need the enemy to defeat you. Because so many Christians are defeated from the get-go. Because they wake up every morning and they think how bad I was. How bad. They don't think about the cross and the shed blood. Praise God. And the forgiveness of God. My God, we are covered by the blood of Jesus. You would say, what audacity God has to call Abram a prophet. He throws his wife under the bus twice. <laughs> you see, that's the love and mercies of God, my friend. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like our pastor used to tell us. I thank God that God forgives me because the forgiveness of people is pretty short. People don't forget. Get into an argument with someone and they want to bring up something that happened 10 years ago. I thought we covered that. I thought Jesus took care of that. I thought the blood covered that in the name of Jesus Christ. I thought we had forgiveness on that. Evidently there wasn't. Praise God. But listen. Here's what happened. It says this in verse 8. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning. Called all his servants. Told all these things in their ears. And the men were afraid. You know why they were afraid? Because they were afraid that God was going to cause a plague upon their nation. For something they didn't do. And Abimelech said unto Abram, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? He's rebuking the man of God. He's rebuking the prophet. Why did you put me in this position? Why did you relinquish your leadership and the responsibility you had as a husband and you throw your wife under the bus and you jeopardize me before God Almighty, the creator of the universe? Shame on you, sir. Abram said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Come on, Abram. She's your wife. You married her. You went to bed with her. Are you serious? Yeah, she's your half sister. You're telling her half a truth here. Praise God. You didn't know this was in the Bible, did you? You don't have to look at Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm. Amen. Come on, my friend. <laughs> Why you got to look at Fifty Shades of Grey when this is in the Bible? Read the book of Solomon. You see, people can't even handle the book of Solomon because if I ever preached on the book of Solomon, people would rush out of the church and say the pastor's backslid. There's something wrong with the pastor. If I ever preached on the book of Solomon, you, some of you folks would just run out of the church because you would say, I, don't, I didn't know that was in the word of God. Well, it's in the word of God. Bible even tells what side for a man to lay on. Did you know that? Nah, some of you are looking at me and say, well, I'm going to read the Bible more. <laughs> now I'm really interested in reading the book of Psalms. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? 
God's got to adopt a position. Yeah. Uh, I better not get on that. <laughs> I see some of you blushing already. My Lord in heaven. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house. What did, what, what did Abram do? I wandered from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen. Here's again. This guy is getting paid off for lying. What's wrong with this picture? Tell me what's wrong with this puzzle. Look what happened. And it came to pass, he wanted, Abimelech took sheep and oxen, men servants, women servants, and gave them to Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. You have the wife of a prophet, Abimelech was told by God. Why are you messing with her? I, I don't know, Lord. Please don't kill me. Okay, now let me tell you about let me tell you about men here for a minute. Men want to understand women. And women want to understand men. So let me give you a little insight into men. Maybe you haven't heard this before. Maybe you have. Abraham suffered from two things. That's why he was fearful. Abraham suffered from fear. And what was the fear? Obviously, he suffered from the fear of losing Sarai as his wife. Tuck that into your heart. He was suffering also from unjust jealousies. Abraham was suffering from two things. I'm fearful that I'm going to lose my wife to another man. And I have jealousies that I'm going to lose her. This is real for men. If men will admit it. If men will get down and be honest about their feelings. And I'm going to tell you why. He became deceptive again. And asked Sarah to lie again. And in verse 9, Abimelech confronted Abraham. And what he was really saying to Abraham was this. No more, sir. Step into your calling. Step into your position as a leader. You can no longer live like this in fear. You've jeopardized Sarah's life by lying. And you need to come to grips with this, Abraham. Now let me, let me explain this to you. Adam and Eve, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, everything generates from Genesis. If you look at the book of Genesis, and you look at what happened in the book of Genesis, a lot of issues in life can be solved by looking at Genesis, which is the beginning. Adam was given a responsibility to manage the garden as a leader. Adam failed. Adam was thrown out of his house. Adam was embarrassed before the then known world, angels. Lucifer laughed. The serpent laughed. Eve was displaced from her home, the garden, because she was deceived. Adam partook. So I want you to imagine how Adam felt. You're in this beautiful garden. There's no mosquitoes, no flies, no germs, no bugs, no sickness. Total bliss. A relationship between a man and a woman that was flawless, perfect. 
emotional, sexual, social, physical. It couldn't have gotten any better. Couldn't have got. You see how, how twisted we are even in our sexual relationships in, a, in Christian homes? People are messed up. People don't even know what's normal anymore. People have no idea. And, and if you ever preached on that, it would probably embarrass a lot of people because if you look at the statistics, even the sexual relationships between man and woman is diminishing. Why? I want to tell you why. Because men don't feel good about themselves. It's the curse of Adam. Men don't feel worthy. Men don't feel like I deserve that woman. And men begin to fear about losing that woman. Men become jealous. Men are very competitive. Men are very competitive. Yes, they are. Amen. And they don't like people prowling around their wife. Because it's part of the curse. And if we're not secure in Jesus, we will succumb to fear and we will succumb to those jealousies. Yep. Abimelech said, step up, man. You're missing it. This is the second time you blew it and you threw your wife under the bus. And God told Abimelech to bless Abram. And in Genesis 20 and 15, and Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. Here again. Abram's getting paid off because of his lie. Take what you want. It's all out there. Take the ponderosa. It belongs to you. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all the others. And thus she was reproved. I will explain that in a moment. So Abraham prayed unto God. Now he's becoming a man of God. Now at this moment is a turning point in his life. Because Abimelech had a need. So Abraham in verse 17 prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bare children. You see what happened? They weren't having children because what happened? Sarai came into the house of Abimelech and God closed the womb of every woman and even the king's woman in that nation. And Abraham knew that he did wrong because he prayed to God. And you know that God gave him a spanking. And he said, you pray for Abimelech and you pray for his wife and you pray for that nation. And in verse 18 it says, For the Lord had fast closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. There's always a consequence, my friend, when you're in control. Be very careful. This is not a joke. God's word is a, ga a word of authority. And when we don't follow God's word, we fall into play with the enemy. A word to Sarai. Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. He was reproving Sarai. Why? Because she never dealt with her bitterness. She never dealt with what she was feeling in her heart. She was never able to tell Abraham, I'm bitter. She just displayed it. And that's another problem in marriages. People don't have the courage to talk to one another and tell each other how they feel because they fear rejection. Again, the curse of Adam and Eve. I'm afraid he'll go away. I'm afraid she'll go away. I'm afraid if I tell her how I feel. Listen, it's not a marriage if you can't share your emotions and the words that are in your heart. Come on, my friend. Help me preach here today. 
What kind of relationship is it if I can't tell my wife how I feel? What kind of relationship do I have with my wife if she can't come to me and tell me how she feels? What kind of relationship do we have if we can't cry with each other? Oh, men don't cry. You know, get out of that macho nonsense. It's time to grow up. Men have emotions. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And he was the son of God. Men don't cry. Men are macho. Men want to beat up the world. Men are competitive. You know what? It's time to grow up and stop being a teenager. It's not about beating up people. It's about loving people. It's about sharing your feelings with people. It's about being emotional. Hmm. Don't even let me go there because I'll get myself in trouble. Bitterness was never dealt with. Abraham, the prophet, Abimelech is saying, is now going to be your covering. He's going to be your garment. He's going to hide you. Praise God. God is telling Sarai, I've changed Abraham. You're to forgive him. He is my man. No more control or no more fear on your part, Sarah. This is what's happening here. Isn't it interesting that Sarah conceived, hear me now, her conception of Abraham changed, and after she forgave Abraham and gave up her bitterness and gave up her control, (laughs) she conceived, and she had a son. Isn't that something? Did you just hear what I said? She gave up her bitterness through forgiveness, and in the process, her mess-ups were covered up, praise God, where she regained her dignity and honor unto all that are with thee and with all others. This is what Abimelech was saying. Do you know why I gave him a thousand shekels of silver? Because it was a display in his nation and a testimony that this woman did nothing wrong. She did not have sex with me. She did not give up her body to me. She did nothing wrong. And this was an indication when he gave uh, uh, the prophet Abraham that money. She was saying, you're clear. I've covered you. And when you walk out of my house, there's not going to be one man in this nation that's going to have suspicion about what you did or what you didn't do. Come on now. This was great on the part of Abimelech. Praise God. He covered her. And he was telling Abraham, now you cover her as a husband. I've covered her as a king. Now you cover her as your husband, man of God. Amen. Hmm. In the message version, it says, and Sarai, he said to Sarai, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. That clears you of even a shadow of suspicion before the eyes of the world. You're vindicated. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. No matter what we've done in life, praise God, we have been vindicated. Hallelujah. And you don't have to give God a thousand shekels of silver. All you need to do is receive the forgiveness of God and the blood of Jesus that covers our sins, that takes away our sins, that makes us pure and clean before Almighty God. Hallelujah. Abraham and Sarah got their dignity back. And Sarah did not get pregnant until she gave up her bitterness toward Abraham and gave her husband dignity. I wonder how many blessings people are not receiving because their womb spiritually is shut up. Come on on now. Because of bitterness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I said, I wonder how many people are not receiving the child, so to speak. The blessing. The miracle, the gifts. Yes, come on. <laughs> because they have so much bitterness in their heart. Oh, 
And God is just wanting to pour out upon them his love, his mercy, his gifts. I think we're going to be surprised sometimes when we go to heaven. And I believe possibly that God will open up a gift room. And God will have you peek in that gift room and say, you know what, sissy? You know what, sir? You know what, brother? You know what, daughter? These could have been yours. These could have been yours. But you refused. <laughs> We're going to be judged. In some aspects, we will be judged. People have no fear of God anymore. People have no fear of God anymore. We walk around like, uh, like it's just God. No fear. It's like the, like the, like the thief uh, to the side of Jesus. Does not thou fear God? You're going to go to hell here in a few minutes. Do you not fear God anymore? Does the church not fear God anymore? The Bible says in the book of Acts, fear, great fear came upon the church. We have no fear anymore. We just do what we want. We sin and we say, oh, it's okay. God knows my heart. No, he doesn't. God wants the heart clean and pure and holy. Let me, can I go on for a few more minutes? Yes. Abraham did not become a father until he dealt with his fear. Hear what I'm saying? He had a fear of losing Sarah. He had a fear that another man was going to... And that's exactly what happens in the American family. We're fearful. Men are competitive. And it's something that we have to deal with. Whether you like it or not. You, you could say, Pastor, you're not telling me the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Because we've all looked at our beautiful women and our wives. And I thank God that every marriage in this church is intact. But as a man, we've all looked at our beautiful wives. And somewhere down the road, we've said, you could have done better. You could have married the lawyer. You could have married the doctor. That's the curse of Adam. Because men feel bad about themselves. Even though we're Christians, although we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we still have to deal with the curse of Adam sometimes. And we become jealous and fearful that someone's going to take our woman. That's the mystique of men. I'm, I'm giving you an insight, ladies, into men. Call it what you want. I'm calling it and I'm telling you what it is. And I believe it. We have to de define exactly what Abram's fear was. Fear of losing his wife to other men. That's exactly what it was. Jealousy was the root in Abraham's life. Jealousy is defined as what? Overprotectiveness, suspicion, weariness, watchfulness, mistrustfulness, distrust. Fear of not lending, leading his family properly. Men fear that. Can I do the right thing? Can I lead my family? Can I be an active man? Can I love my wife as the Bible says, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church? The fears of Adam concerning not measuring up or being good enough, not measuring up to God, not measuring up and pleasing God. This is the curse that came upon Adam when he was thrown out of the garden and every man deals with it. Yeah. And for the most part, you don't hear preachers preach about this. Listen, I'm not preaching to you to become happy. I'm preaching to give you the word of God to help free us in our homes. Amen. Because there's issues. I don't care whatever house it is, there's issues. And if we don't deal with the truth and if we don't recognize who the enemy is, we're going to get all jammed up. Let me close here. Through faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed. 
and she was delivered of a child when she was past age because judge got because she judged uh, him faithful who had promised uh, Hebrews eleven eleven. Now I want to go into a controversial subject here for a few moments. Hold on to your hats until you hear me read everything. First Peter three one. Likewise, you wives, be subjection, be in subjection to your own husbands. Just hold on now. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Hmm. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own wives. Here's verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She wasn't calling that early. <laughs> she was calling him a few names that I don't think was written in the Bible. Come on now, my friend. You know what I'm talking about. That even happens in your home sometimes. Oh, come on. Don't look at me like you're in amazement here. Oh, I never talk like that. Oh, yes, you do. Uh, stop lying. Your nose is growing like Pinocchio. Come on, come, on. come on, my friend. We're living in the real world here. Sometimes we say things that, and it comes out of our mouth and we say, ooh, where did that come from? I want to tell you where that came from. It came from the sewer. Amen. Come on now. Let's be honest about it. <laughs> Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you dwell and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, let, let me, let me talk, talk to you for a moment. A lot of people take this and they become clothesline preachers. And God knows you know I've never been a clothesline preacher. I believe in modesty. But I don't want to wake up and go out with my wife and having her look like a scarecrow. Amen. Oh, you should have said amen right there. Thank you. Hear what I'm saying? My, my, my wife is not a scarecrow you put in the garden to, to, to flee away the blackbirds. Come on now. But a lot, of, a lot of people, they take, I might get in trouble for this, but you, a lot of, they take it out of context. Mm-hmm. It's okay to look nice as a woman. Right. As a matter of fact, one of the five needs of men, and I teach on this, I'm not doing it now, one of the basic needs of men concerning women is that their women look nice. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a woman looking nice right. for her husband. Amen. We take it out of context. Mm-hmm. Conversation. We gotta check our conversation. Okay? Amen. This verse is saying when Sarah called Abraham Lord here, it was a title of honor, expressive of respect and reverence. It was a respectful title. It was actually in the Greek means exciting reverence for her husband. <laughs> How many women have exciting reverence for their husband? Oh, do we call those husbands, you dummy, you didn't do it right, let me do it. Let me show you how to do it. I want to tell you the the two bridges that we need to cross. First of all, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. That's a given. If you do that, she will respect you. According to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 6. She will respect you. Because one of the needs of men, one of the five needs of men, 
is to be respected. Listen, I want to tell you ladies something. One of the worst things you could do to a man is disrespect him in public in front of other men. Listen, if you have something to say to your husband, you can go home, go in your bedroom and close the door and speak to him about being hurt, about a feeling or whatever. But when you publicly throw your husband under the bus and disrespect him, now you have caused a great earthquake spiritually in his life. Because he has to go face those other men. And those other men are going to look at him and say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you that your wife talks to you that way? It's a problem. It's a problem even in our Christian homes. If husbands love their wives, their wives will not disrespect them in that fashion. It's very important. And you know what? Maybe a week or two from now, I'll preach on the five needs of men and the five needs of women in general. Because it's true. Studies have been done. Women want a secure relationship with a man. When a woman doesn't feel secure, she feels she needs to be in control and she becomes fearful of that relationship and distrustful. Men have the need to be respected. Now let me tell you how Abraham and Sarah became full circle. And I close with this. Detect the different communication and humility now between husband and wife with God confirming the man Abraham. In Genesis chapter 21 and verse 8, let me read to you. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. This is exactly what God said to Abraham. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Because Ishmael is probably 19 years old now. He was 14 when Isaac was born. And weaning in those days was between 4 and 5 years old. So maybe Ishmael was 18 or 19 years old. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. You know what happened here? Husband and wife sat down. God made a proclamation about Ishmael, and he did become a great nation. But God said to sit down with Sarah and listen to what she has to say to you. Now this is the bridge of humility. It's a different communication. There's no bitterness There's no fear. There's no suspicion. But God said, have a meeting with your husband. And Abraham, listen to what she said, because I have spoken to you. And you know that what she is saying confirms the word that I gave to you as a prophet of God. Now, let me close with this. A lot of men get themselves in trouble. Because, yes, we're supposed to be the head of our homes, not dictators. God did not give you a wife to lord over. He gave you a wife to love. But a lot of times men get themselves in trouble because there's something about women. You can call it the sixth 
sense. You could call it intuition. You could just, just, there's just something about a woman that when you're making decisions, it's okay if you're a man of humility, if you're a man of God, to sit down with your wife and say, honey, what do you think? And listen to her wisdom. And sometimes we don't do that because we think I'm the man. Yeah, you are the man. And if you do what you're going to go do, you're going to fall flat on your face. And your wife is going to look at you and say, I told you so. I hate to say that to you. We need to listen to one another. And when you look at Genesis 28, 21 and 8 and you discover and you study it out, There's a different communication now and a different humility. I sense that in many homes in America that we have enduring friendships in marriages and that we go one way, this man goes that way and the woman goes this way and we're not meeting where we're supposed to meet with God. A true relationship with God, whether it's a friendship between two people, whether it's a marriage, is two people plus God. It's a triangle. That's a true relationship. That's a friendship. That's a bond. That's soul knitting to soul. So this morning, all fears returned to Sarai. But God dealt with those fears. God dealt with those fears. And God dealt with Abraham's jealousies and Abraham's fears about losing his wife. And we as men, we have to allow God to deal with those things in our life. Because you can sit here this morning and think, hey, that doesn't apply to me. You know what? I'll say this to you. You're full of baloney. Because it does. It does. Because if you're not in check and a man gets around, you're a woman, and you're looking and you're saying, what's he up to? What's going on with this guy? Where did this guy come from? I want to tell you, there's something going to come up in your heart and say, mm-hmm, the bells are going off here. I see the red lights. I see something going on here. It's going to happen. We have to ask God to help us overcome our fears and our jealousies in Jesus' name. And I pray for marriage right now. I pray for marriage not only in this church, and I'm thankful as a pastor, and I tell my wife often, our marriages are still intact. We're still together. Friendships are still intact. We're still together. And that's a tribute to God, not to us. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that. And I thank God that our children can see marriages working. Hey, listen, they might not be perfect, but I want to tell you this one thing this one girl told me in the prison church. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And so, Father, I pray for people that will view this, that people will hear, Lord, this sermon. And it's, to me, it's inviting the concepts, the, the words that you've given us today, the, the meanings, is important. And I pray for homes that maybe are on the brink of divorce as Christians. I pray for homes that are struggling. I pray for men that are struggling, Lord God, with their, their own image. Lord, I, I pray for women that are in fear and securities, that feel the need to control I pray, God, that you would heal our homes because, God, what's the church? The church is a series of families that walk through the door. And so many of our families are fragmented and divided, oh God. 
And I pray for the healing of the home in America. I pray, God, that you would help us to cross that bridge and touch, oh God, that sacred covenant of marriage. God, between one man and one woman in the name of Jesus Christ. And bless, and oh Lord, the fruits of the womb that you would bless as the days go by. That those children will not grow up and say, why do I want to get married? Look at my parents. But they would grow up and say, I want a marriage like my parents. Because they exemplify Jesus Christ and love for one another. I pray, God, in Jesus' name for this to happen in our homes. And God, I thank you for this hour. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you and thank you for listening.